you guys stand up? We're going to sing God So Loved. It's a song we've sang a bunch around here. Shannon, can you give us an A? Beautiful. Here we go. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever. Keep singing it out this morning. The power of hell forever defeated. Now it is well. I'm walking in freedom for God so loved. God so loved the world.
Good morning. Good morning. One reason why I love that song is because it so effectively communicates, like, the entire gospel, right? Amen? And it's also a lot of fun to sing and play. But anyways, uh, my name is Brett Machat. I am the Worship and Young Adults Pastor here at Life Community Church, and we are so excited to have you here, whether you've been coming here for 25 years. I know, right? Right? The more on that coming soon. Whether you've been coming here for 25 years or if it's your first Sunday, we are delighted and excited to have you here with us to worship. Uh, before we continue with our worship, we got just a couple of announcements for y'all. Uh, first of all, we had a work day back in July, and it was awesome. A lot of you came out. We got a lot done outside, got a lot done inside. Uh, we're going to have another one of those this coming Saturday. Come from 10 to noon. It's just two hours. Anybody can do two hours, right? Bring your kids. I'm sure we can find something for them to do. I'm sure there's something for them to clean or whatever. Um, but, yeah, we will see you there. Should be a good time. Uh, and like I was saying before, 25 years. We are celebrating our 25th anniversary, September 9th through 11th. And we wanted to let you know some of the things that we'll be doing. You guys want to know? Woo! Wow. Do you guys want to know? Okay, thank you. Sorry. It was just so, it was so pathetic that first time. Friday evening, we're going to have a bonfire at the building. Who doesn't like a bonfire? I don't know. But it's going to be great. We've also got some throwback pictures. Oh, my goodness. These are amazing. Saturday afternoon. Wow. I just love these pictures so much. Uh, Saturday afternoon, we've got some food trucks that are going to be at the building. Saturday evening, we're encouraging everybody to go get dinner with friends, especially those people that are coming from out of town. And, yes, there are people coming from out of town that used to go here. They're coming back just to celebrate 25 years with us. And then Sunday, whew, this is my favorite part, mostly because I'm the worship pastor. Uh, Sunday, Sunday morning, extended worship celebration. We're not just calling it a service. We're celebrating. I'm not going to tell you how long it is because it's pretty long, what we have so far. And I want you all to be there. Uh, so it's going to be amazing. There's going to be worship through the years, several worship sets, scene songs all the way from like 1998, back before I was born. Um, I'm just kidding. I was born in 93. Uh, so I guess I was like five. But anyways, it's going to be amazing. There will be a lunch afterwards. Oh, raise your hand if you're excited. Awesome. Okay, cool. I know some of you raised your hands just because you feel bad for me. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, lastly, I want to encourage you, especially if this is one of the first times that you've come to LCC. We have these things. They're called cell groups or small groups. You can call them whatever you want. They meet weekly. And they are, I'm not just going to say they're great. They are vital. I would argue that they are vital to my faith and to my family's faith. Uh, we really do lean on the love and care from our cell group. Uh, it's awesome. We don't just come there and talk about the Sunday service, even though that's part of what we do. But we invest in each other's lives. We do fun things. So we want to encourage you, join a group. Go on to our website, which is mylcc.info. Awesome. That has all the information that I just talked about. So uh, you guys can stay standing, and we're actually going to sing a song that we sang a couple of weeks ago. It's called Tu Senor, and I had a few people come up to me and say, Brett, that song was really cool. I really enjoyed singing Spanish, but I'm going to be honest. Didn't know exactly what all the Spanish words meant, uh, so could you maybe, like, tell us what they mean next time? So I'm going to tell you. The, the lyrics are, Tu Senor, eres grande, mas grande que todo, which means, you, Lord, are greater, you are greater than anything else. So as we sing those words this morning, yes, amen, amen. As we sing those words this morning, let's lift up our voices, lift up a shout of praise. We, uh, 
we praise you. You are holy, and you are trustworthy, and we, um, we just acknowledge um, your greatness. We thank you for speaking to us, and we pray now as we look at your word that we would, um, we would hear you speak, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Before you sit down, oh, sorry. <laughs> real quick, real quick. I want, you to, I want you to look around, say hello to somebody. Just We'll do this quick, okay? But I, have, I want you to tell them something. Yes, someone near you. Um, I want you to, and tell them, okay? Tell them when you think of like the richest person, wealthiest person you can think of, what, who comes to mind, okay? So take just... 20, 30 seconds, share with one another, say hello, introduce yourself. Who, when you think wealth, who do you think of? Hmm. All right. So go ahead and then have a seat. How many of you, <laughs> how many of you named like, uh, how many Bill Gateses did we get? Can we get some Bill Gates in the room? Jeff Bezos, did he come up? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who, who else? Warren Buffett? Who, who? Oprah? Oprah. Oprah. Okay. <laughs> okay, anyone name someone that they knew? Uh, don't tell me, actually, that's, yes, yes. All the riches of the Lord. Okay. When I, I'm a man of a certain age, so when I think wealth, I think of this guy. Scro who else swims in their money, right? Scrooge McDuck. Now, Scrooge McDuck had an interesting journey with, uh, with, with, with Disney, right? That's Disney. Um, had an interesting journey uh, when he, he's obviously named after Ebenezer Scrooge, the miser from, from uh, Dickens. But the, the, he, he, uh, it, the, when he was introduced in the 1950s, he was just nasty and mean with his money, um, but he became such a popular character over time that as they kept rolling him back out, he became friendlier and friendlier and friendlier until the 1980s, okay, kind of the, you know, the, the me generation. He was just this pleasant, adventure-seeking uncle uh, who, who took his young duck nephews, right, uh, on adventures and, and swam in his money. He was just he, it, was, it was all good. He's just, he was just a rich guy who was happy all the time. And things changed in the Scrooge McDuck story. I would, I would also say that, you know, that, I, that ideas of around money shift and change culturally. There are certain things that, that change on us, but there's also some things that stay the same. And we've been in a series um, this summer, and as summer is winding down, the series is winding down. We've called the series Jesus And. And we've We've been asking the question of, like, how do we put Jesus and what he says about what is true and what is right? How do we put Jesus out in front of our lives? Not behind, because it's so, so common for us to just sort of go about life and then get, get, into, make, get into trouble. And then, and then we find, like, okay, now I need someone to help fix this. And can Jesus help fix my situation? We don't, we don't believe that that's the message of the scriptures. We don't believe that that's the best way to live. We don't believe that that's what God has called us into. And so we spent this summer asking, how do, how do we put Jesus first? How do we seek first his kingdom? And then from there, look at our lives. And today, I'm going to offend you. 
But really, don't blame me, because I think Jesus says some things about money that are kind of difficult for us to hear. But we're going to talk today about Jesus and money, okay? We don't, we don't go out of our way around here to talk about money. Um, we, we try not to make too big a deal about, about money. Um, we don't try to hit you up for your money too often, okay? We believe that God will provide the resources that are needed for the work that he wants to do here. So today's not even about, like, we need, the church needs your money. That's not it. Today is about how do, how do you think about the money that God has given you, whether it be a very little or whether it be a lot? What's your, what's your perspective on it? How does it impact your faith in God? There are those that would say that, and Jesus said a lot about money. There are those who would say he said more about money than any other topic. That's probably a stretch. Um, but, but he does say an awful lot about it. And when he speaks, honestly, he's very clear. <laughs> he's very clear. And we're going to look at some of the things that he says. Um, and, and, and before we do that, I want to just, just touch on this idea that, that um, while cultural ideas around money tend to shift, and, and tend to, you know, we, we tend to sometimes to, to idolize and then villainize those with money. Like, those things tend to shift. I can tell you this, that, that the struggle with money and, and what we, uh, the, the struggle that individuals have with money is nothing new and it doesn't shift. It goes back as far as there has been any sort of consumption, any sort of gathering of, of wealth or resources. I would add that what we're talking about today is not a problem with systems. I'm going to say this, Okay. It, we're not talking about, the Bible doesn't have a preferred economic system, okay? That's not what this is about. Because there are greedy people in, in capitalism, and there are greedy people in socialism and communism. Like, there are greedy people. What we are talking about is our hearts. It's our hearts. And the way that we engage with the resources that God's given us. We're going to look at five different passages. So if I don't, if, well, if you're not offended by what Jesus has to say on this, you may be offended at how late I make you to lunch, but you're going to need to forgive me because Jesus said a lot. And I don't want to just say a couple things when he was so clear in so many places. So we are going to hit several different passages. I'm going to do my best to try and synthesize them down into, into just what's the heart of what Jesus is saying here. And I'm going to ask you to keep an open heart on this because it's very easy. It's, it's, it's easy for us to sort of take on some of the cultural baggage of our time that says money is a private matter. It's just between me and me alone. And, and no one else is welcome to speak into it because Jesus wants to talk to us about money. Okay? So the first place we're going to look is in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bible and want to turn to these passages, obviously, please do. We will put them up for you. But we're going to take a look at several passages. The first one here is in Matthew chapter 6. And, and Matthew chapter 6 is kind of the center, centered chapter on a, of a three-chapter sermon that Jesus, uh, that Jesus gave, often called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, there's the Beatitudes are there, just like sort of these, um, these countercultural ways of a being and having, having a way of life. And in chapter 7, he, he may know the story of you know, the man who built his house on the rock versus the man who built his house on the sand is in chapter 7. But in between, chapter 6 hits several different topics, but it's fascinating that in each one of the topics that he hits in Matthew 6, it has something to do with money and resources somewhere in there. He begins by talking about giving to the needy, okay, and doing that the right way. He moves on to, to, to do what we, we call, you know, the Lord's Prayer, but in the Lord's Prayer, he says, what? Give us our daily bread. 
okay? Give us our daily bread. There's something about that there. He talks about fasting and consumption and, and that idea of consuming. And he ends the chapter with talking about anxiety about our needs and giving those, those, an, those anxious, our anxiety about having our needs met to him. But at the center of chapter six, he says this, and we're, it's gonna be chapter, Matthew chapter six, verse 19, he says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And catch this, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do we believe this? This is Jesus himself speaking. Do we believe this? That what he says is, you can tell an awful lot about your life if you go back through your bank statements. You can see what really matters if you take a look at what you're doing with your money. You can, you can see what matters to you, what, what's really important, what, is your, what your posture is towards the money that God has given you says something very significant about our hearts. And so we're just, as we look at these things and we're going to put some things together when, when, with what Jesus says about money, the first thing, and I would say just the baseline. When we, when we think about money and we think about what Jesus says about it, the first thing we need to take to heart is that money reveals what's in our hearts. It reveals what's in our hearts. There's a temptation to say, it's mine, I've earned it. I can do with it as I please. But Jesus says, well, while that is an option that's available to you, it reveals something about us when we take that posture. Where, where we put our treasure, where, what, what, we're, what, what we're longing for, what, what, what our desires are, and what we, what we like, if, if, if money were no object, what would you do with your life? And how we answer that question says something about us. It says something about our hearts, because our heart is connected to what we treasure to what we long for, to what we desire. And when we have the resources to, to have our desires met, the meeting of those desires says something about who we are. Okay? Now, the baseline. We're gonna say, he's gonna say more. And it's, it's not gonna get any easier. Okay? In Luke's gospel, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 18, like I said, I'm going to have you thumbing through your Bible if you're, if you're turning with me. In Luke's gospel, chapter 18, there's this encounter. There's this encounter that takes place. And I just want to read through it and, then, and, uh, and discuss here. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18, it says, A ruler asked him, so this is, this is a ruler, someone with resources, someone with authority position. It says this, A ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God, okay? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. So right off the bat, this person comes to Jesus and says like, you, you know, good teacher, okay? Good teacher. And Jesus responds with like, that's a loaded term, good. We gotta keep moving. Verse 20, 
says, you, Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Now, that's not all the commandments, right? But he gives, he gives he, Jesus responds with, here's, here's these commandments, okay? Don't, like, do the, do not, don't do these things, and then there's this positive one, like, like honor your father and mother. But, but these are sort of like the, the, the commandments. If we look at the, the Ten Commandments, these are the commandments that are sort of like the horizontal things, right? Like the things where I go, like, don't, you know, don't, don't lie to people, don't steal from people, don't do those things, those bad things to others. But it, 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 notice what's left out is, is the first couple of commandments that have to do with no other gods before me, okay? And so the man says in verse 21, he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Well, good for you, right? That's pretty bold, but, but that's his claim, okay? That's his claim, and Jesus doesn't challenge him on it. Look at verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Okay? So this man says, look, I've, I've done the, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Isn't, like, that's going to be enough, right? That's going to be enough. And Jesus says, well, yeah, but there's this thing. There's this thing. And, it, and for this guy, it had to do with money. Okay? You've, got, you've got money. And so what you need to do is you need to take that money and you need to sell it or, get, or take what you have, like give it to the poor, sell everything you have, give to the poor. And at that point in time, like then it says you will have treasure in heaven. But it doesn't end there. It says, and come follow me. You catch this? You catch this? What's Jesus getting at? He's getting at the fact that this man's wealth, his his accumulation of stuff was standing between him and following Jesus. And in order to truly follow Jesus, this man had to, had to have the wealth. It needed to get out of the way. It had to be removed. It was a barrier to him following Jesus. And he heard it and he was sad. When I hear it, I get sad. I don't have a lot, at least not when I compare myself to my peers here. When I compare myself to peers globally, God's been very gracious to us. But this, the thought of divesting and simplifying and giving doesn't sound appealing at all to me. But Jesus goes on, verse 24, seeing that he had become sad, Jesus said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Ooh. How difficult is it? Verse 25, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So there's, there's needles and, 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 and camels, and there's, there's some discussion of, like, is this, like, that's really impossible, and is there a needle with, maybe it's a gate in Jerusalem. Either way, here's the deal. It was such, if it was a gate in Jerusalem, it was such a small gate that a camel was not going through it. Because, we know that, because it goes on and says this. Verse 26, those who heard it said, then, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, what happens with this guy is he had this thing. He had this thing in his life. And for him, it was money. And I'm just going to go on a limb and say, for plenty of us, the thing between us and God is money too. We've got it. I don't want to give it up. I'm counting on it. I really have put my faith in it to secure my life, to give me a good life. It's my treasure. It's where my heart is. 
And Jesus says, that's incompatible with following me. You get that, right? Like if we're, you're counting on money, we're not counting on God. And so if we really want to, to come follow Jesus, we have to take money seriously. So it's, you know, this thing Jesus acknowledges, like wealth get, is in the way. Like it's in, like how hard is it for, for someone with wealth to, to put their, take their trust from wealth and put it into God? The answer that Jesus gives is pretty darn near impossible. But there's good news, right? Because what Jesus says there in verse 27, but see what, is, what isn't possible with us is possible with God. He takes and moves. And this does happen where we relinquish our attachment to stuff. We, we, we transfer our faith in money to faith in him. That happens. It's a real thing, but it requires the work of God. And Peter, being Peter, steps in and speaks. Verse 28, he says, see, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said, he said to them, Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You see, you get this. Like, like what he's saying is this, this impossible thing happens. Salvation happens when we say nothing's going to stand between me and Jesus, including my money. He goes on to list more, but like that's the point. So here's the next big anchoring point that I think Jesus is telling us when it comes to money. And it's that it has the power to keep us from him. Money has the power to keep us from Jesus. It does that for us. When we, when we st start to get it or gain it, even if, and this is not about a lot. We can have just a little and we can start to say, we can start to convince ourselves that, that our, our hope, our future, it's bound up in that. And when we do, it stands between us and him. Money has that power. Let's keep moving. There's no, so many other things that Jesus said on our money. Earlier in Luke, a few chapters earlier, if you're in your Bible, go back to your left a little bit to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, there's another encounter that takes place. Someone, else, someone asked Jesus to set the record right. So look at what he does here in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. He's, he's speaking and teaching here and said, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, so there's a, there's a, a dispute in the will, right? Um, there's, there's some inheritance, and my brother isn't giving me my fair share. I'm not even, you know, buried in this is like, I just want what's coming to me, what my fair share. Verse 14, but he, Jesus, but he being Jesus, said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? I don't know why the man is there, but it sounds good, right? Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Which is fascinating, too, because you get this, who, who is the judge of all people? Who's the arbiter of all people? It's Jesus. So it's not about Jesus and who he is and his position. What's it about? It's about the request that the man made of him. Keep reading. We got to keep moving. Verse 15. And, and he said to him, take, he said to them. So he, here's this dispute. And then he says to the, to the group, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or greed, some other translation. Be on your guard. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And, and he told them a parable. 
saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So he starts to tell this story. So this is not a, not a real story, but it's a relatable story. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I mean, I've, had a, I've had a banner year. I've had a banner year. I need to move my money from you know, a savings account to something that's going to yield higher interest. And he said to him, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I'm going to move it into the latest, greatest mutual fund. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul? <laughs> soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What's this guy's perspective? What's this guy's perspective? I don't, I have enough that I don't need to work so that I can just do nothing. The, the, what, what's revealed in this is that this person's perspective on what, what they had been given, what had been granted to them, was that it was for their own use, for their own enjoyment, for their own pleasure. But look at this, verse 20, but God said to him, fool. So we've gone from man to fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will that? Whose will they be? So, so, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. But that's a they. So God said to, to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Like, all that planning, all that building up, all that accumulating, to what end? To what end? What was the purpose? Because tonight, you die. And while in the parable, the man's death came that night, the reality for all of us is what? All of our accumulating, all of our gathering, all of our dependence and relying on money, all of our stories still end with what? You can't take it with you, right? It was Malcolm Forbes. We're familiar with Forbes? Malcolm Forbes who first said, he who dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> he who dies with the most toys wins. What do you think God says? I think Malcolm Forbes is the rich fool in this story, right? You can't take it with you. The end of all is the same. All that accumulation. In verse 31 there, so, it, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, what happens with our money, the reality is that money cannot secure my life. We think it can. We think that, at least I think it can, if I just have enough that I don't have to worry, my life's going to be fine. Like, I can weather any storm. If I just have enough, then I can pursue the good things in life, the things that will make me happy. And it's here where I need to bring in um, a sage when it, came to, um, to, when it comes to money. That is Prince, right? Um, he said some very interesting things about money, okay? And one of which was um, the pursuit of money can't buy happiness, but it can buy the pursuit. You get that? Money can't buy happiness, but it can buy the pursuit of happiness, okay? But that's really not what I... It's a, that's an interesting line, and he certainly pursued happiness and used his vast resources to try and be happy in life. And if we know the story, right, he died tragically, 
drugs in his body, and it's a sad story. But I remember um, one of one of his uh, most famous songs, the song 1999. Okay, he wrote it in the early 80s, and um, you know, kind of in some ways even prophetically about the year 1999. Um, and of course, as the calendar kept getting closer to 1999, the song kept getting played more and more. Okay, until December 10th, 1999, when Prince played the song and announced that night that he was never going to play it again. Now, he went back on that about eight years later, but that's the story for another time <laughs> because he needed more money to pursue the happiness, right? But, but he said, okay, he said he, he announced, he played it, he announced at the concert, this is the last time I'm, I'm performing 1999, okay? Just a couple weeks later, remember, this was Y2K, for those of us old enough to remember this, this is Y2K. I remember this so vividly. I've, I've looked and looked and looked for the, the video of this, but I, I don't think it actually exists anymore. But I remember it vividly, okay? He went on one of the morning shows, Good Morning America, Today, one of those shows, okay? I remember it vividly because I was, I was my wife and I, we didn't have kids. We were out west with my parents, and, and we had the morning show on, and Prince um, was there. They had a pre-recorded version of 1999 that was played and a little interview with him, okay? And the person asked him, they said this. this is, I'll never forget, it, forget this. They said to him, why are you going to stop playing this song? So many people love it. And he's, you know, okay, yeah. And, and they followed up with, and look, you can make so much money. And this is what he said. He said, well, we all know that it's not money that holds the world together. And I'm like, oh, we do know that? <laughs> he said, it's not money that holds the world together. The world is held together by the grace of God. And i like, what? Now, he said something right, <laughs> okay? He said something right and true. And it turns out there's maybe the grace of God in his life, like, honestly, you kind of look at his story. But I'm not. I'm not sure that, that truer commentary on what Jesus has to say about money has ever been found, right? The, the world is not held together by money. It's held together by God's grace. And that's what Jesus is telling this young man who comes to him and says, give me what's mine. I deserve it. I, I, I've, like, I don't know if you earn inheritance, but like it's mine. I, it, it's owed to me. And Jesus says, that perspective, that perspective is an unhealthy one. It's so unhealthy that he tells the story about the rich man building up more for himself to secure his life. But that story ends like all other stories. Money can't secure our life. It can't secure our soul. In Mark's gospel, in Mark's gospel, Jesus has this encounter in chapter 12. In the midst of, this is nearing the end of Jesus' ministry. He's in Jerusalem. It says, they sent, they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, those are um, uh, political leaders in the day, to trap him in his talk. Okay, so it's a trap. What's about, what we're about to read is a trap. Verse 14 says this, and they came and said to him, they said to Jesus, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. It's a trap with flattery, okay? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Oh, no, Tom, not the tax question. Is it lawful to pay, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Look, I'd like to pay less 
I'd like the government to take a little less. Okay, we'll get that out of the way. I'd like that. But is it lawful? Okay, now, here's the thing, too. They lived under a, um, a sometimes oppressive foreign regime that had come in and had taken lots of rights from them and demanded um, unreasonable tax code. There was no one to appeal to. There was no defense if they wanted more. That was the deal. And so they came to him and said, we're being treated unfairly. Should we pay these taxes? It was a hot-button issue of the day. Jesus responds, verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus was so good at not taking the bait. He said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, bring me a coin, and let me look at it, okay? And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's, okay? You might say it this way. Money bears whose image? Whose image does money bear? Well, Caesar's, right? That's whose image. So Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. If it bears his image, give it to him. It's not my concern. And to God, the things that are God's, because what bears God's image? Get this? When it comes to priorities, Jesus, he, he clearly, he talks about money a lot, but he talks about it not from the sense of like, let's, let's all do the right thing. Let's have, a, let's have a, an uprising against the monetary system. He says this, more important than your pocketbook is your heart. It's your heart. It's who you are. My kingdom is not about expansion of, of, like, of, of financial resources. Look, the church globally, historically, has been there and done that. Accumulated power and wealth. It happened. It didn't end well. Had all the power, had a, a holy empire, and it was corrupt through and through. Because in our hearts, we carry greed. We just want more. And Jesus says, look, don't get all caught up in the image of Caesar. That's the stuff of the world. My kingdom's not of the world. Keep me moving. Money is a concern of the, world, uh, of the world. God's kingdom, it trades on a different currency. It trades on the currency of his grace and our faith in it. That's, that's what grows the kingdom of God. It's built in our hearts and our lives. Those who bear God's image, who's trusted him through his son and in whom his spirit dwells. That's the kingdom of God. Okay, so just one more, and it's quick. Still in Mark 12, just a few verses later, Jesus is still in Jerusalem. He's at the temple. And it says, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. That seems, I mean, we talk about cultural changes, right? Now you, like, you give, like, on your phone, you know, hide it. Anyway, many rich people put in large sums. So he's watching the parade of, of Wealthy people putting large amounts of money into the, the offering box in the temple. And then in verse 42, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper corn coins, which make up a penny. She put in a penny versus these large sums. Verse 43, and he called his disciples to him and said to them, again, I still think this is awkward, right? I'm watching, I'm watching people give their money, and now I'm going to call my friends over to watch too. Um, but, but he did it. He called the, his disciples to him, and he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. But stop for a minute because, I mean, there are certain calculations where that's just not true. 
If someone puts $100 in, that is more than one penny. So he's not measuring on the amount, right? On the sheer amount. He's measuring on what? The percent? I don't know. He doesn't give me his calculation. He just says she gave more. This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is it. Right? This is it. She didn't give more in total. She gave more generously, more sincerely. Her gift cost her something. She couldn't just give it and forget it. She wasn't giving a rounding error. She was giving all that she had. And there's implications here. One of them is that God is not concerned with how much you have when you start. Like, our attitude towards money is not dictated by whether we have a lot of it or not. You catch this? I'm guilty. I'm guilty of saying, I don't have that much. So, God's less concerned with what I, I'm giving because I don't have much to give. It's not true. God cares. He cares. When things get tight, what do I do with my money? I generally become less generous towards those in need around me. I start to shrink in those areas. God doesn't seem to operate that way. But the other side of this... Um, Fulton Sheen said it best. He's a, he's a Catholic scholar, said this. He's the first person I know of to say it. He said, never measure your generosity by what you give, but rather by what you have left. In summarizing this, this widow's gift, never measure your generosity by what you give, but rather by what you have left. Boy, that's hard, right? That's really difficult. I pat myself on the back when I look at my, my giving statements at the end of the year when I'm doing my taxes. I feel like, gosh, I'm pretty good. And then I look at everything that's left and think there's still more. There's still more. So I want to just ask, I want to ask a couple questions. The first one is this. Do you allow Jesus to tell you how to use your money? Oh, because here's the deal. Many of us, many of us, and I, I am guilty, many of us will say, that's, that is just, that's just a, an area where we just don't go there. Jesus doesn't speak to me about money. Oh, no, but he does. It's not about whether or not he's saying anything. It's about whether or not we're listening and allowing him to speak into our lives. Are we hearing it? How much are you counting on money to give you security? How much are we counting on money to give us the security in life? To provide the things that we desire, to, 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 to help us to have a good life. And how about this? Do you have a possession? Is there something in your life that if Jesus asked you to sell it and give the money to the needy, that you wouldn't do it? I don't know that he is. I don't know that he is. But I bet... I bet that he's telling all of us, I bet that he's telling all of us that we can, we can give more, we can be more generous to those in need around us, that we can live with less. Is there something in our lives that we have 
that we wouldn't give up, or like the rich young ruler, that we wouldn't give up if Jesus asked us to? Because that becomes a barrier to us in following him. So here's what I like to do. I'm going to call the band down. We're going to, just a few minutes, we're going to do a song. But I just want to take a few minutes of reflection before we do. Because <clears throat> the, the scriptures just say a lot about our money. It seems to be a thing that gets in our life that regularly keeps us from connecting with our Savior, from trusting him more fully. And I'm going to ask you to reflect. This is, this is just an invitation to reflect. In these regards, would you identify one expenditure in your life that would be a sacrifice if you went without it, if you chose not to spend there? One thing. I don't know, I don't know what it Okay. Are you thinking about a major purchase? I don't know. Do you, do you have to have that, that drink from that place every day? Something that, that would cost us if we went without it. That would be a sacrifice for us. And would you consider redirecting that money to a Christ-focused cause? Would you consider making that swap? This is, these are the steps we take. God may, he may be asking you. I don't, I don't know. He may be asking you. It's time to really simplify with, uh, with your possessions. He may be asking, I don't know. But I know he's asking all of us to do something in this area. So what if we start with something small and start to chip away? Something that we hold precious, something that we hold dear, that we just figure like, this, is, this thing is making me happy. What if you actually challenged God by cutting it out of your life and giving that somewhere else? For our closing prayer, um, Warren's just going to play softly, and there's some scripture I just, I think the words of Jesus here are, and, and well, the words of the New Testament are so potent here. So we're just going to let Warren play softly, and we're going to scroll through some of the things that Jesus said, or sorry, that the, that the, the Spirit has spoken in the scriptures, some, some in the Gospels, some in the letters of the New Testament, and what they say about money. I'm just going to ask you to keep your heart soft for a few minutes as we look through this and consider those questions. Father, we just want to pray to you right in this moment. We thank you for what we know to be your goodness, your faithfulness. God, we love you and we praise you today. Amen. Before you leave, I just want to remind you, we've got our work day this Saturday. Have a great rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you there.